Good morning, Christ City. My name is Heath, and this morning we will be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? Let us pray this morning. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I ask that you give us wisdom as we look at this text. I ask that you would give us insight. I ask and I seek and I ponder and I petition to you that you would give us understanding on how, how to pray. So Lord, in this uh, we ask, amen. I cannot think of a more appropriate text for us this morning than the one found here in Matthew chapter 7. Many of us were six weeks into a quarantine, self-isolation, Some of us have lost our jobs. Others have converted washrooms and closets into conference rooms and and office space. Some of us are emotionally steady. We're doing well. We're hunkered down. Others of us are running ragged, frayed at the edges with kids running around everywhere. Some Some of us need encouragement this morning. This text, the one that we are looking at, was written more than 2,000 years ago, but it is for us this morning. When the margins of life are pulled thin, when it seems as though all is undone, we are once again reminded of a theme that runs through the entirety of the scriptures. And that is, in the uncertainty of life, in the difficulties and hardships of this world, we have access to a creator, the creator of the universe, the one who upholds all things. But we do not have access to him as a a deity who we have to offer sacrifices daily, one who is capricious, no, We have access to God as a child has access to a father. We have access to God as a child has access to a father. A loving father who sends his own son to sacrifice for us so that we can have this relationship. As the famous verse aptly puts in John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God loves us this much. So therefore, in Matthew chapter 7, if we are his children, we are exhorted to ask, seek, and knock, to petition God our Father. And he says he will give us good things. Our outline this morning as we dig deeper into this verse is threefold. One, the need Two, the Father, and three, the ask. Now, whether you're exploring faith for the first time or a, or a seasoned veteran, you instantly are, are, have this question in your mind, like, does this text really say that if anything I want, I can ask God, and, you know, because he gives me good things, he will actually give it to me? If that is true, then how come we're not all ridiculously good-looking and we're all driving Ferraris and Lamborghinis? If this is true, why am I sporting a COVID haircut and driving a 1998 Pontiac Sunfire? Is God really some sort of cosmic vending machine? You know, where you you plug your coins in, you hit the buttons, and you watch the Twix bar come out and land at the bottom and you get it? We all know in reality that that Twix bar gets stuck halfway in the middle and you've got to beat on the thing in order to get it out the bottom. 
Our requests to God are not taken in this way. Deep down, we know this is true, but we still, still get stuck with this idea and we get disappointed and distressed when our requests are not met. We get angry when our, our requests seem to be lost in the fog of the vending machine. I've lived longer than many of you. And let me tell you, I am so glad that God has not answered all of my fervent petitions and desires. We are capricious beings, not God. Our desires are a Molotov cocktail of self-destruction. James, he was the half-brother of Jesus. He writes in a book in the New Testament this, in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I thank God that in my passions, the doors that I tried to kick open and force my way into, God kept closed. God is not a vending machine enslaved to the whims of my petitions. The point is this. This is not a global universal principle. This is not a blank check. So how do we understand this? How do we understand this reality if it's not a vending machine? We do, uh, how do we deal with this? We must first recognize our need. This is point number one. James highlights this issue well when he says, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Simply put, we are too proud and too self-sufficient to ask on one hand and too self-interested and greedy to beg for things on the other. Do not underestimate this reality. If there is one thing that has been highlighted during this pandemic that we as a species do not like to acknowledge <laughs> our need. We do not like to feel our need. Our toilet paper and hand sanitizing habits, this, they reveal a lot more than just a desire to not run out. It's painfully obvious that it reveals the internal state of our hearts in our need. The, we do not like the fact, in reality, that we cannot control our destiny. We get confused by this text here in Matthew, in part because we do not fully appreciate and we do undervalue the state of our need. If there's one theme that threads entirely through this Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at since last fall, it's the fact that we are insufficient. We're insufficient. I know this goes against the grain of our culture when you know, we're taught that we are enough. Now, whether it's our anger, our lust, our desires for justice, our fasting, our prayer, all of, our, all of the things in our lives, if there's one thing that the Sermon on the Mount addresses, that in and of ourselves, we are not enough. Why in this time of COVID are we not exemplifying these characteristics of the Sermon on the Mount? Why are we not living up to what Jesus calls us to here? Just so you know that this is not just a pandemic reality. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, writing in the 1950s in the UK, he writes these words. How can we live the Sermon on the Mount? How can anybody come up to such a standard? The standard by which we are confronted is found in the Sermon on the Mount, and by it we are all crushed to the ground and made to realize our utter helplessness and our desperate need of grace. Here is the answer. The supply is available, and the Lord repeats it for the sake of emphasis. And then he goes on to quote Matthew 7, 7 and 8. 
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Standing face to face with this greater righteousness, the standard of Jesus, as Jones calls it, we are undone. We are unworthy. We're utterly helpless. We are spiritually destitute. This is the state of our need. And it is acutely highlighted in the case of the global pandemic we're now in. The Sermon on the Mount starts with our need, and it should not surprise us that it is addressed here subtly. The answer is simple, as Jones says. If we are helpless, if we are destitute, we have to recognize our need and ask, seek, knock, petition God our Father because the supply is there. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Now pause the video. Seriously contemplate your need this morning. Ask yourself, in this time of isolation, has it shone a spotlight in areas of my life that are just really ugly, that are broken, that are selfish, that are greedy? Fall on your knees and cry out to the Father who sent his Son to give you the righteousness that you do not seek yourself. Because without this understanding of need, without this understanding of how broken we are, we cannot ask for the right things. Without this understanding of our need, we go to God as a vending machine rather than a father. And that brings us to our second point, the father. In order for us, in order for us to ask for the right things, we need to know our need, but we also need to know of whom we are asking. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, we read this. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This text is all about the loving character of God as Father. Jesus uses a lesser to greater argument here. He says that if our earthly fathers, who are evil, who are in a state of need, who are lacking righteousness, as Joan says, if they give you good gifts, therefore, why wouldn't the author of life, the author of everything that is about love and goodness, righteousness itself, why would he not give you everything good as well? The argument points to God, who is wholly good, and he wants to give you good things. The obvious and underlying reality here is that in order to receive good things, in order to receive things from a father who is in heaven, we need to be his children. We need to call him father. As I've alluded to in the introduction, before we can receive as children, we need to be accepted as children. How then can we become his children? See, our need is only half the battle. I have many intellectual friends, uh, friends who can articulate the need, friends who understand that our culture is broken, friends who work in NGOs all across the world who see famine, hateful things like human trafficking. They understand that the world is broken. Some of them even understand the legitimacy and the possibility of a need of a spiritual reality, but none of them, none of them articulate the need for a God who is a father let alone a loving father. Talking about Jesus, 
John, one of Jesus' followers, he writes in John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, he says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We become children of God by believing in the name of Jesus. Now, I know if you spend time in church, you've probably heard that a thousand times and you're like, oh my word, not again, really? Hear this afresh this morning. We become children of God by believing in the name of Jesus. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we have continually been confronted by the greater righteousness of Jesus. His standard, his perfection and our lack thereof. In order to become children of God, we need to first realize that we are not enough. In fact, we are enslaved to our passions. We need Jesus' righteousness. This is why we celebrate Easter. His sacrifice for us so that we can live. If we believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, by his name, by his actions, we become children of God if we believe. And if we are his children then, If we believe, then God will give us good things, not evil things. This comes to our last point, the ask. Some of you have been saying, okay, Heath, I get it. I know all of this stuff. I've heard it a thousand times before. How does this actually help with my unanswered prayer? If God is really my father, how come when I asked, when I seeked, when I I knocked, how how come he didn't answer my prayer and Aunt Margie died? How? Why? Why is it that I feel as though I get the stone more often than I get the bread? Why is it that I feel as though God's talk doesn't match his walk? And we grapple with this, all of us, every single one of us, because we all have an Aunt Margie in the back of our mind. That one thing that God hasn't answered, whether it's a a sick child, a lost job, disease, war, famine, human trafficking, cancer. The list of hardships is huge, and the suffering is endless. Why? The Apostle Paul, writing to a church in Rome, a church pondering whether it was worth it to actually believe in the name of Jesus, when his name meant more of a suffering reality than a blessed, hashtag blessed reality. They ask essentially the same question, and the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, he says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then in verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As Paul says later in verse 39, Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love that we have from God the Father. Paul grounds the goodness of God in the work and person of Jesus Christ. Then the question becomes is why do we ask? How do we seek and what do we knock for? If God is for us and if he graciously gives us all things, then what do we do with that? Are we just resigned to fate? Does prayer become unnecessary? 
Swiss theologian uh, Ulrich Luz, he said this, the certainty that prayer will be heard does not make it superfluous, it makes it possible. What he's saying is this, if we have God as Father, and our, our prayers are both possible and heard, possible and heard, as, as children, our petitions do not fall on deaf ears. So as a child, then, we are encouraged to ask, to earnestly seek, to knock, but to what end? Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Matthew 5.6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you see the connection here? Our primary hungering, our thirsting, our asking, our seeking, our knocking, first and foremost, should be directed at righteousness. The holiness of God. As Lloyd-Jones describes here as Jesus' standard. Not a new Tesla, not even world global peace or Uncle Bob's toe fungus. No, if we seek righteousness as first and primary in our lives, then we are promised that we will be satisfied. That all of these things will be added to us. Put another way, if we are God's children made possible by the work of Jesus. If we seek after what he desires, what he describes here as his kingdom, then we will ultimately be satisfied despite our circumstances. We will be satisfied despite our circumstances, even in hardship. Another way to understand this is to look at the parallel text that we see in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. It's the parallel text to the one we have here in Matthew. Luke eleven thirteen says this, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What Matthew articulates as good things in a general sense, Luke narrows it down to the Holy Spirit. Now some might be saying, okay, how does that actually help me? I'm confused. Luke says that everything that is good from our Father is found in the Spirit. And he gives it to us if we ask. Luke picks up on what Paul describes as a characteristic of a life of the Spirit, and and he applies this Spirit directly to answer prayer. It'll be clear here in a second. Look at Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, or the byproduct of the Spirit's work in our lives, so the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we come before God as a child, and all that's entailed with that as we discussed earlier, if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, we are promised in verse 8, for anyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. God answers our petitions by giving us his spirit. This is how our hearts are changed. We receive joy. We receive peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control, yeah. All of our petitions, all of our answers to prayer, all of the good things that Matthew describes are sourced in the giving of the Holy Spirit. God, our Father, gives us the Holy Spirit through the work of his Son. 
Again, the good things promised by God, our loving Father, stem from a life in the Spirit given to us by the Father through the work of Jesus, his Son. If this is true, then this should invigorate us to ask more fervently, to seek harder, and to ask more persistently. But the sad reality is, Christ City, if we're honest with ourselves, we find this to be really difficult. Being wholly reliable on a loving Father, like some ethereal spirit, hmm, this is hard. Even if we do have faith, even if we do believe this, we have trouble here, and we raise our hackles because we have to surrender our control. We still long for the vending machine. We want to pop our coins in, we want to hit the buttons, and we want the Doritos at the top left. This is why, during a pandemic, in our loss of control, we are undone. Hear again the words of James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Christ City, in the fog of unanswered prayer, I find it insightful and helpful, even encouraging to hear the words of Timothy Keller, author and pastor from New York City. He says this, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Let me repeat that. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. Christ City, as we close, I do not know why some of your prayers have gone unanswered. I don't know if you're going to God as a vending machine or whether you just don't have all the information, as Keller says. But what I do know is that if you recognize your need, if you fervently petition God as Father, asking, seeking, knocking, he will give you good things. He will give you the things that you need to be satisfied. He will give you a life in his spirit and all of these things will be added to you. You will be satisfied despite your circumstances. There is hope in that Christ city. If you're struggling during this pandemic, if you are anxious, if you are suffering, hear afresh the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter five, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Be satisfied, Christ City. Be satisfied. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.